you're listening to Nine Plus, a research podcast from Waterford Institute of Technology. My name is Rob O'Connor. I'm an academic with the Department of Computing and Mathematics at WIT, but I'm recording these podcasts so that I can learn more about the work being carried out by colleagues across the Institute. There's some genuinely fascinating research being conducted by individuals and groups, and there's a good chance you don't know that it's happening. We're often locked away in our own little bubbles, and hopefully these podcasts are an easy way to get an idea as to what's going on elsewhere in a convenient 40-minute-ish package. In this episode, we're talking about the positive effects of physical exercise on patients suffering from mental health issues. My guest is Dr. Evan Matthews, who completed his PhD in 2019 entitled Developing a Physical Activity Programme for People with Severe Mental Illness Using an Experience-Based Co-Design Approach. Evan has been working with the HSE and Mental Health Ireland to pilot a programme called The Exercise Effect in County Wexford, which has led to extremely positive outcomes for the individuals involved. The findings will be published in the next few weeks, but Evan and I sat down to have a chat about setting the scene, where the work was coming from, and also outlining where it might go in the not-too-distant future. I began our conversation by asking Evan to describe his current job at WIT. So my current role, it's convoluted. Um, It's a research fellow uh, in the Department of Nursing and Healthcare. So that's actually a fellowship that's funded by the health service, specifically by the Nursing Midwifery Planning Group for the HSE. So I'm funded essentially by the health service and I'm based in the Department of Nursing and Healthcare. But I suppose my research, it spans more than nursing as well. It's 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 beyond the, the scope of just nursing practice to health issues. My own personal research profile would focus on health behaviours uh, that affect um, marginalised populations. Okay, so I'm going to ask you about your background in a little while, but I'd like to talk to you about a project that you've just recently finished or are, are in a stage of finishing and there is a report due to be published with HSE soon. It's the exercise effect uh, you ran this in Wexford uh, via the Slauncher Care Integration Fund. Could you explain what that project is? Yes. Yeah, or so what that project was? Absolutely, yeah. So it, we're at the, the end of the first year of that project and the project will continue. So essentially in brief, what the project is, is we, we leveraged money on a, a long-standing ambition of mine uh, as part of my PhD, one of the kind of strands of my PhD was I wanted to change the way we deliver exercise as part of routine care in Irish mental health services. And one of the best ways to do that, Rob, is to have an exercise practitioner. That's someone who's specifically interested, specifically tasked to uh, support people to do exercise or physical activity. So when we say exercise, we mean that structured exercise that could be in a gym, could be out in the the park, wherever in their home, but it's structured. Physical activity is is beyond that. It's it's uh, exercise included, but it's also movement, breaking up sedentary behaviours. It's it's all the other incidental movements that we do in our day to day lives. So what what we want to do in that project is have a practitioner working as part of the mental health team that was tasked to address that issue because what we know from the literature is that uh, and some of the studies that we looked at before during my PhD is if you don't have that person there 
exercise and physicality is everyone's responsi- everyone's concern, but no one's responsibility. Okay, now I'm going to back you up. Why is it important? Uh, so, no, so, so I, I, right, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, okay, and I'm I, I'm deliberately putting this up to you. Somebody has a mental health, health issue, uh, psychosis, schizophrenia, whatever it might be, okay, and I'm not, I obviously don't know what this is, right? That's a that's a mental issue. Why should I be concerned with physical exercise? Sure. So, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of strands to that question. I suppose first we have to... It probably is a lot to unpack, yeah. It, it, we, yeah, we have to separate this out a bit. So with that project, and I should say it was a collaboration project and, you know, was was led by my supervisor at the time, Suzanne Deneef, and then we work as a team together on that project, among many other uh, colleagues, some in, in WIT. But in that project, we're focused on specialist mental health services. So that is, that's targeted at people who have what we call a, a severe mental illness. So they would have a diagnosis of something like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder or major depression. So it's a, it's a little bit different from uh, the the average person on the street who might have uh, challenges with, with, you know, what we call maybe common mental disorders. So they're at a more severe end of the, the mental health spectrum, let's, let's call it that. And you're focusing on young people specifically, is it? With that project, no, we weren't. We were okay. focused on uh, people across the lifespan. So the okay. project actually reached into services for older people with uh, severe mental health problems, adults with severe mental health problems and children and adolescents with severe mental health problems. So the, okay. the project was far reaching. So coming back to your your question there, like, you know, why is this important? Exercise is important for a number of different reasons for that population. Okay, so we can kind of separate that maybe into two two kind of overarching reasons of, of importance. And the first is people who have those severe mental illnesses, they actually have a reduced life expectancy compared to people who don't have those conditions. And the general population, the the we have a poor understanding of of those illnesses. But actually, what's what's going on there is it, uh, what's killing those populations early is uh, a burden of physical illness that uh, is disproportionately felt for those populations. So they have things like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, uh, and those illnesses are creating this burden of ill health for that for that group and that unfortunately reduces their life expectancy. Okay, and why is that? So again, I know that's it, a very it's, broad it's a very, question. Yeah, it's yeah. a very hard thing to unpack and and you know, this work has been led by by people that I've, I've been fortunate to have mentorship and uh, connection with during my PhD study. But really it's it's multifaceted. Um for one, it, it can be to do with um, stigma and stigma can come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. Yeah. Um, stigma can be something as simple as um, the people that are there to care for those people in mental health services, the, the nurses, the doctors, they're very focused on the mental side effects and very often the physical stuff gets neglected. Mm. That doesn't come packaged as the stigma that you and I might expect stigma to come packaged as but in a sense it, it is because it's just the way we've done things and we need to re-look at how we actually treat and and manage those populations in care settings. So even something like as well the the medications and, and medication has a role don't don't um, get me wrong here some of the medications for mental health populations are very very effective but some of them can have some significant side effects. Parking all that aside that's the way 
things maybe are, what we're not doing is actually addressing the lifestyle behaviours uh, and supporting people to change their lifestyle behaviours when they have a mental health problem. So, for instance, um, there's one study uh, led by, by mentors of mine in, in Australia and um, they had young people who came into the mental health services with what's called first episode of psychosis. So these people that would probably go on to develop schizophrenia. Mm. And they noticed that in what's, in how these people are usually treated is they gain an awful lot of weight. They gain up to um, something like beyond 8 kgs of body weight just in the first few weeks of taking wow. these antipsychotic medications. So it's a huge, it's, it's, it's unnecessary. But they realised through uh, like a randomised control trial, which is where you compare one group against the other. So they compared this intervention of exercise and, and eating properly uh, through support of these practitioners, like an exercise practitioner or a dietitian. And they compared that to the usual care and they realised they can actually stop, they can offset all of that weight gain from taking those antipsychotic medications. So it really begs the question is, you know, why are we not doing this? You know, why aren't we actually putting supports in place for people with these mental health problems to address those physical health issues? So I, I just want to clarify this in my head. So what you're saying is, you know, this, was, this study was particularly with young people in Australia mm. and they, they're diagnosed, they present with, with the condition and they're on uh, an antipsychotic medicine yeah which has its 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 benefits for their mental health but it's having a negative effect on their physical health in that you're saying they're putting on about 8 kilograms in a few weeks yeah so I'm, so i mean i i'm like so i'm not the smallest lad in the world and i'm i'm about 70 kilograms mm. so it's more than a tenth of my body weight yeah yeah it's that's it's, a lot like 8 kilograms that's a lot yeah. for, particularly for a young person who may not be as as physically large. Yeah, and can you imagine as well, if you were just starting out a journey of poor mental health, you're accessing yeah. a mental health service, you're going through all these changes, you're an adolescent, which brings with it an awful lot of other challenges in life as well. Yes. And then then your body is is shifted and changed into something that it doesn't normally look like too. It's going to have an, a compounding effect on your mental health, which is why they're there in the first place. Now, again, I'm only asking because I don't know, right? Is the weight gain a direct result of the medicine or is it a secondary effect of the medicine or is it both? It's very hard to unpick all these things. Okay. Uh, so, you know, there there is good, robust evidence from some of the top tier uh, types of studies that so what we call meta-analyses where you pool data together to, to come up with an answer. And there's good evidence from that to show that, you know, medication is an independent risk factor in that weight gain. It is, okay. okay. Uh, so but, when you say an independent risk factor, and I know I'm stopping you in your flow the whole time, mm -hmm. but what is that? What, what does that mean? It means that if you... And no research is perfect, okay? So, yep. but in the evidence, and I should say, this is the studies that look at this weight gain in, in schizophrenia, it's, it's not research that I've led. I'm just, I'm familiar with the, the, the research area, but I wouldn't speak with great authority. But let's say, let's go back to your question. So it's an independent risk factor insofar as if you look at the data and you try as best to control for other measures, you can still isolate that as a, a primary factor that is potentially causal yes. in in that weight gain. There are other issues there at play for sure for those populations as to why they will gain such a disproportionate amount of weight when they, um, you know, start on a, on a journey of recovery, let's say, in their mental health. Mm. Um, so, for instance, 
you might be talking about someone who has been having some symptoms and these symptoms are very confusing, very scary for the individual. They might start to pull away from their friends. They might start to neglect their diet. They might start yeah. to smoke to cope with something like the anxiety that comes with it. So there is uh, an awful lot of compounding factors. And to be honest with you, it's very hard to separate out those factors. There's no research that's going to be able to be pure enough to, to separate out those factors. But the best evidence available can show, you know, where there are primary risk factors, let's call them, or independent mm. risk factors. And, and uh, medication can be a, a risk factor. But again, this thing is, it's always a balance, you know, and when someone is acutely mentally unwell, um, medication has its place because, you, you know, you, you have, have to deal with what's in front of you at the time. So Obviously, it's yes. not to, to take away from medication, it has its place. But the important message in, in where our research has been looking at is if you have the right structures in place as part of the mental health services, that weight gain doesn't have to be inevitable. That weight gain is actually potentially avoidable. So for, well, particularly for a young person, but for any person, gaining that much weight in a short period of time would surely add stress or add to anxiety, which could amplify other issues that might be at play there. And would I be correct in saying what you're looking at doing uh, or what what the what your your project, the exercise effect and also the, the work in Australia had done was to try and not put that weight on in the first place, because it's easier to not put it on than to shift it off. As anyone who's ever been through Christmas or COVID or whatever, you know, it's easier to not put on weight than it is to take it off. Is that fair enough now or is that too simplistic? Um, it's fair. It, it's not simplistic. I mean, it is fair enough. It, it, interesting, actually, and uh, you know, um, the weight is an important element to it, okay? So, yes, in, in the younger populations that we would have had the intervention and, you know, we were, we were a little bit concerned that, or we, we were a little bit hopeful that we could have some impact on offsetting that weight gain, mm. okay? Um, we weren't that, I mean, if you, if you look at the evidence that's out there available to you, if you use just exercise alone, it, it's, it, as you said, it, it's quite hard to shift weight through exercise alone. You do need a, a, a robust and long-term lifestyle uh, adaptation for, for weight gain. And then you've got the other things like the, the medications that are, are also going to have an impact mm. on weight gain. So really where the Exercise Effect Project, which is where we had the, the practitioner um into the mental health services and, and as part of that project we had to work to to create that role essentially and, and make that role acceptable among other services but really where that has its strength is actually the mental health outcomes so across the diagnosis um, spectrum let's call it you know across all those different diagnoses that I mentioned uh, when you have exercise as a therapeutic intervention delivered by someone who knows what they're talking about and someone who can support you and understand your mental health problems, you can actually shift a lot of the burden of mental health symptoms. So you can reduce symptoms of anxiety, you can reduce symptoms of depression. The other thing that kind of, I mean, like in mental health care, and this goes for medications too, there's no such thing as a, as a cure-all, you know. Yes. Um, some things work for others better than they do for, for the next group of people. But for the most part, the evidence up there for exercise is really, really strong right now. So as I said, you know, there's colleagues of mine that I've had the fortune of being able to work with, but they have led some, again, that top tier evidence, that meta-analytic evidence, so that, you know, they're bringing studies together to look at the, the one answer. And for the most part, you can show a, a strong significant effect of exercise on treating symptoms like depression for people who have major depression, managing 
um, anxiety in people who have schizophrenia, improving cognition for people who have schizophrenia. So these are really, really important things that determine how uh, a person's quality of life, how good a person's quality of life is, if you, if you get me. So these are places where exercise, if delivered as part of the routine care package, can improve a person's quality of life. So... I'm asking you simplistic questions and I do understand that this is complex. Okay, but I'm trying to understand it myself because I don't understand. Could you maybe give an example of how the the practitioner operated or you know you don't obviously have to use real names or anything like that in the program that ran in Wexford. How was it set up? What did they do? What was the kind of stuff that was going on? You know that kind of that kind of yeah a gist of it if you know what I mean yeah so it was important that we have that person as integrated into what's called the multidisciplinary care team that's a okay. very very uh, HSE kind of term essentially it means that the, you've the team of the the nurse the occupational therapist the psychiatrist the all those different people and they what happens is um, you've a person who's in a particular service let's say they're in a child and adolescent mental health service and they have contact with 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 that multidisciplinary care team and that team sets out a, what's called a care plan. So we wanted to, as best as possible to bring that person into that team, into that network. Now that's a very challenging thing to do and we had to use the support of Sports Active Wexford so that's the local sports partnership to do that. But, we, we, you know, through creating, and this was part of the project, is creating special agreements that are in place that allows the person to work as part of that team to have access to the to the care plan, the medical notes of the of the the service users so that was part of the project so they work as part of that team they feed information into that team they they relay information back as to you know how how that person is getting on and uh, what they're doing the progress they're making but as part of that then as well you also have things like the person the the let's call them the exercise practitioner they're meeting the service user one-to-one had to be one to one because at the time COVID nineteen was was an issue, so yeah. we couldn't do the group sessions that were planned. But they would meet the individuals. They would, you know, take them through a structured exercise routine. Also introduce them to physical activity opportunities that are going on in their community that the person might have been less inclined to engage with because of you know maybe they might have social anxiety and things like that. But they would help them to to get set up and get going in those community-based programs. And then importantly as well, the practitioner has the ability to A, monitor um, the exercise, the physical activity. So there's tools specifically for mental health that uh, fortunately I've been involved in, in the research around those tools. Again, that, that's work led in Australia by um, a guy called Professor Simon Rosenbaum and Phil Ward. So I had the opportunity to, to work with them on that and, and to create that tool and to, to develop that tool. So we use that tool then so the practitioner could see, well, how is, you know, Rob getting on? Um, what's the progress? And that's a, a, a more valid measure of how the person's getting on because it's for the mental health populations. And then also importantly, the practitioner has the skills because um, they're an exercise science, exercise and health science graduate. Mm. So they have the skills to um, have these therapeutic conversations um be able to motivate a person, understand the mental health symptoms as well, know when to back off uh, and and be empathetic uh, uh, and, you know, support them in, in their journey to getting more physically active. So if I was to be, again, reductive, it's kind of like a very specialised form of personal training. In a Would sense, you, yeah. you could you could call it that, yeah. It's, 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 but obviously there's... The, 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 
there's a, there's a medical element to it as well. Yeah, yeah it, it, there's a medical element to it insofar as they are part of the, of a men, of a yeah. mental health team and they have a skill set and an understanding. So the, the practitioner would have gone through training to to get up to speed with mental health diagnoses because it's important yes. that they have a, a you know a handle on that and what to do if they see a certain presentation or, or yes. things like that. So yeah. yeah, and I'd imagine that the, 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 the so when you're talking about an exercise program, it's not right. Let's go out and run a half marathon today. It's obviously going to have to be tailored to the individual and as you said this is spanning various sure. ages and I'm sure the, the different levels of fitness yeah. so it has to be specific to the individual is that yeah so this the skill set of the practitioner is vitally important yeah. as part of the project so now the project is, is scaled up we have more practitioners coming on stream so I mean obviously I'm not involved in the day to day running of the project I'm very much providing or supporting with research oversight and mm. feeding into some of the project design issues but I wouldn't be on the ground every day with the practitioner let's say but yeah essentially it's very important that they have those skill set to tailor uh, as you said for populations across the lifespan and again with mental health as well like you you, you could be talking about someone who um, might have an awful uh, lot of anxiety around um, exercise might have a fear of exercise but they also might have um, uh, symptoms that might preclude them from exercising outdoors in public spaces yep. so you, you do need to have uh, the, the, the practitioner needs to have the capacity to grade exercise appropriately introduce exercise appropriately and educate the person and the mental health team around the value of it so that's a very important element to it as well so the way you're describing it so you, ha- you have the kind of the clinical team and and the the, the, the nurses psychiatrists doctors other therapists other support services and the practitioners in there and they're all in the mix. It sounds like quite a holistic uh, team. That's the ideal. So, you know, a lot of this idea, we're, we're actually very far behind in Ireland. So I, mm. uh, fortunately, I wrote, I wrote a paper on this in tw- 2018 before this practitioner existed. So myself and, and my my, super, my wonderful PhD supervisors, we wrote a paper on this to, to say, you know, why are we doing this in Ireland? So this happens in a lot of other contexts, but we're not doing it in Ireland. We don't have that holistic approach. We don't have an exercise practitioner uh, and they're doing it in the likes of Australia. So I got to... But you said it's actually worse. It's not. It's not just that you don't have an exercise practitioner. It's that the services aren't linked up at all. Now, this is you told me this, but we were having a cup of coffee. But you might just describe what that is. This yeah. is not to to cut the back off anyone. It's just to kind of set the scene as to why your work is important and why it has an effect. Yeah. So uh, you know, this comes back to to stigma, and as I said, stigma is uh, can be a an undercurrent, let's call it. Mm. It, it. It's not necessarily overt. So traditionally how we, we conceptualise mental health services is mental health services appear separate to the other medical services in your hospital. Even if you go in, if you if you go down to, uh, if you need to access the Department of Psychiatry in Waterford General Hospital uh, next week, okay, you're going to find yourself in the basement of the hospital. Uh, it's separate from mm. the rest of the services. We treat mental health services very, very differently and therefore we have a very poor, as a population, we have a very poor understanding of mental illness. Mm. Uh, now that is changing, but it's it's a long road to, to, to go. 
And yes, essentially what, what has happened is we have focused the attention on the mental health symptoms. We have trained our mental health professionals to address, and rightfully so, address the mental health symptoms and, and challenges that present to those populations. But we have... Uh, neglected to understand the physical health issues that are also connected to people who have mental health symptoms. So unfortunately your head is connected to your body. Those two things aren't separate and we have not looked at mental health in that way. Um, And it is, they are connected. So, um, you know, unfortunately, as I said earlier, people with mental health illness, they die, you know, 15 to 20 years uh, younger than the general population and that's because of cardiovascular disease that's because of issues with um, you know their physical health um, you're going to find an awful lot of obesity you're going to find an awful lot of diabetes more so than the general population in these mental health populations and that's because we're not looking at it we're not treating it and we're not managing it and part of that is as you said we're up the word holistic we're not providing holistic care we don't have a clear pathway we don't have good um, interventions in place in our mental health services to to look at these issues and address these issues, and it's not just exercise, of course. It is it's dietary. It's looking at smoking. That that's you know there's greater incidence of smoking in these populations. Mm. It's it's a complete picture, uh, and we've a long way to go in Ireland to improve the situation. Now I know I've been asking you lots of kind of high level questions because I'm trying to get a handle on this. I'm I obviously don't know about this, but when you're referring to that there, you're not saying oh these people are bad. I'm not talking about the, the patients, I'm talking about the mm. psychiatrists. It's not the psychiatrists are bad, it's just that this is the way the system has been set up. They're doing their best, the nurses are doing their best, the various other therapists are doing their best, but they're in this siloed setup, perhaps. And what you're talking about with the Exercise Effect Project that ran in Wexford is that there were a whole group of practitioners brought together to treat the patient as a kind of a whole, is is that fair? Is that a fair description? Yeah, so siloed is the word. It's it's mm. completely siloed, uh, and as you said, that's no one's fault. In fact, uh, I've as part of my research, I spent hours and hours and hours in different psychiatric settings, and they're amongst the hardest working professionals you'll you'll yes. meet, and and overstretched to stretch to the bone. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the way they were trained. It's the culture that exists because of the way people were trained and the way things were done before. And and uh, as part of what the Exercise Effect project was, what we were looking at as well was that issue of culture. You know, like is this going to be accepted by the other professionals? So obviously, if you want people to engage with the project, you need to know are the other practitioners going mm-hmm. to refer to the exercise practitioner? Are they going to give it time at the meetings? Um. All these issues, you know, are they going to follow up? Are they engaging? Are they working together? Uh, and that, you know, part of the, as the evaluation team that Suzanne Denise, colleagues and I were involved with, we were looking at those issues, you know, were, were those issues addressed? And for the most part, that takes a lot of work. You, you, you can't just parachute a new person into a service and, course, and yes. let them go. Um, that takes work on the ground. Um that takes meeting people, listening to them, understanding their issues, understanding their concerns, uh, working with them as opposed to kind of, you know, here you go, here's your practitioner. So that's a long process and we definitely, as a project, we didn't get it all right, but uh, we learned a lot by doing it. And the evaluation, the research piece is very important to understand that and to improve that going forward for this next year or two where we, we, we scale up. And. What did you get much buy-in and acceptance from the traditional mental health team to this 
exercise practitioner? Yeah, so listen, I mean, we did. Yeah, we did, 100%. It, better in some places than others where sometimes it comes down to people, where people have a vested interest in this. So some people, you know, were already trying to use a little bit of exercise as part of, you know, their job. You know, you might have a nurse or an occupational therapist in one particular service who would just, you just they, you know, swear by exercise for their own mental health and they just wanted to do something, but they didn't have the time, the energy or the skill set to do that. So yeah. you, you would have maybe good buy-in in some of those places. In other places, there was a bit more resistance, you know, um, in some cases, uh, people don't always value exercise. They don't, they haven't got a full appreciation that the evidence is there and how robust that evidence is. And in other cases, um, there you know, as far as they're concerned, there were bigger things, you know, bigger things happening, and and there's issues around risk and things like that. So in those cases, we we have more work to do to 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 shift that mindset. But there are. It, that's part of the process. So if you if you look to the literature it, to to do this right, and in other contexts you have to address that cultural shift. And there's lots of different ways to do that, but it doesn't happen overnight. And and we didn't expect it to happen overnight. But we could see from our our research findings that where there were successes and why there were successes, and and what we need to do differently. Okay, so can you describe what the findings of the exercise effect project in Wexford were? Even at a high level, okay. Yeah, I mean, so we looked at a number of different findings, so there are lots of different outcomes. So uh, first of all, as you would hope to expect, we see that, you know, service users that got involved in the program, they do more physical activity and they did less energy behaviour. That's actually a really, really important finding. Um, that's, that is our, our, our primary currency in this project was increased sensitivity and reduced energy behaviour, which for people with severe mental illness is really, really a big issue. Okay, so that's number one. And obviously that goes back to what you were talking about, cardiovascular disease, uh, diabetes, and those issues that could potentially lead to reduced lifespan. Yeah, but it's it's more than that, Rob. So, I mean, if you okay. look at, um, like, for example, okay, there's some... There's a really good randomised control trial, right? A randomised control trial, again, you compare one group versus the other group. One group has the treatment, the other group has the the control or does nothing and you compare the two. There's a really, really interesting study that was done in the US where they flipped that model, okay? So they actually asked one group to sit. So in a sense, you're actually giving them the, the bad intervention, let's call it that. They actually okay. asked them to sit more than others. Now, this was a healthy population. So one group was sitting... They had to sit for a prolonged period of time throughout the day. And the other group were just told, you know, go back, do what you normally do. And they looked at the outcomes after one week. And in just one week, you see a dramatic impact on people's mood. So this is the general population, sure. But you see the group that were sitting for a prolonged period of time, their mood deteriorated rapidly and significantly over just one week. What's interesting then as well is once you let those people go back to their normal activities and they assess their mood again, it returned to normal. So yes, the the cardiovascular disease, the diabetes, those were issues that are the rationale for doing the project. But really, there's a fundamental reason why you would increase or try to increase people's physicality levels for the here and now, for today, and that's to improve their mood, their symptoms, anxiety. Yeah. And we could do that. So we looked at some of those outcomes as well. We found for those that were involved in the project, they did improve in those in those outcomes. And, and we, we could look at that through what's called, you know, our quantitative data where we, we, we looked at the assessments that were carried out and, and, and you know, had... had scores for, for different tests that we ran but we also talked to people and interviewed them and, and you know looked at their experience of the project and we, we see that in, in both those kind of data outcomes. So 
long term effect is better general physical health, which leads to less instances or, or could lead to less instances of these issues that you've mentioned that can shorten lifespan. But a very short term effect, as actually an immediate effect, the way you're describing it, yeah. is somebody feels better. Absolutely. I mean, it feels better inside. Yeah. And that's where we actually really should be shifting our focus. Yeah. That's how we actually sell this to the practitioners, the, the psychiatrists, the psychologists. Um, that's the, that's the, 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 the golden ticket for, for getting exercise as part of the routine care is this is an additional toolkit for the mental health services. This will improve mood. It is comparable effects to some of the mainstream treatments that are being used by the services at the moment anyway. Why wouldn't we look at doing this as part of a service? And the best way to do it for, for mental health services is to have someone who's there looking after it. Okay. And it doesn't have to be... So Sorry, I interrupted you the way you were describing the findings. You've, have you... Are you happy with the way that those have been described? Because I know I interrupted you. <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean, well, I, what the, I, I mentioned that so physical activity outcomes and then mental health outcomes, we looked at that too. But we also looked at, you know, what, what's working and what's not working about it, you know. And uh, as I mentioned, we, we had to adapt an awful lot during COVID. So we had to do an awful lot of uh, what's called telehealth interventions. So uh, remote interventions. When I say we, I mean the practitioner. I was providing oversight and, and research uh, support to it. But they, she, you know, was providing those telehealth health interventions um, and that you know works well for some so that that's really an effective way to reach uh, adolescents in the mental health services and it worked really well but obviously it wasn't as effective for reaching some of the older populations mm. well I shouldn't say obviously but it in that case it didn't uh, it wasn't as effective in reaching the older populations um, and um, you know there were some just kind of more um, logistical um findings that came out through it you know how do we improve this and, and what's needed to improve it and how, you, making people aware of the project and things like that so there were some some of those more logistical findings too so the project the phase one of the project or part one of the project or, or however you describe it that that's finished now and you have a report that's due to be published before the end of the year mm-hmm. so that'll be available through I suppose the usual HSE channels but then you're going you're moving on to a second phase are you yeah, so um, as you said, we, we, we we're going to write up that, well, we have written up that report and it's it's sitting with the publisher right now, so it's under the last bit of review, but that will go out soon. And then actually to scale up the project, um, we had to bring in the help of Mental Health Ireland to, to kind mm. of support and facilitate that scale up of the project. So there's now going to be four exercise practitioners working in Wexford Mental Health Services. And fortunately, and you've no idea how much joy this gives me to say it because it's been a mission of mine for the last six years. I have mental health services banging on my door now asking, how do we get this? How did you do it? What ne- What's needed? Um, and that's that's great because um, back in 2018, Suzanne and I, and, and of course Mary Cowman too, who, who, who's since retired from, from WIT, we, we ran a... Um, an initiative in WIT where we invited local mental health services in mm. and we talked to them about the benefits of exercise for treatment and things like that and you know uh, they they loved that and they, they found it very interesting but they said you know this is never going to happen in Ireland we're never going to the HSE is never going to fund this kind of stuff and 
it hasn't happened yet, but we are on the crest of the wave. I, I feel it's 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 just about to happen because we, we have showed such strong findings in, in our Wexford project. We have momentum and, and appetite from other services approaching us, looking for more. And I feel that it's it's a point of change right now that we're going to see this in the next, you know, hopefully five to six years in mental health services, these practitioners working across services. And that would be just so good for... Uh, unfortunately, a population that's been neglected in a lot of ways. Well, I, I'm I'm finding this fascinating. I, I'm very interested in this. Uh, it's it sounds. I hate I hate I hate to be reductive, but I don't have the clinical language. But it sounds like a no brainer. It mm. I can't see a downside to this. Absolutely, uh, and and unfortunately, the only downside has been we couldn't up till now really show that we could really save money. But uh, you know, as I said, this is a comparable sort of intervention to other mainstream interventions, and it has the added side prong of the physical health yes. uh, benefits too. So it is it, essentially it's a no brainer up, and um, it's being done in in other contexts. And we are slow in Ireland, and it has been my mission as part of you know our, our research over the last goodness six six years to uh, to shift this let's talk about where you're coming from because this is like you so here you are now like you're a relatively young person yourself uh you've just completed your phd this was was this part of your phd or came out of your phd yeah it's it spun off out of it so um i finished my phd in 2019 um so uh, i'm I'm a Watford IT through and through, so I educated the whole way up. Uh, yeah, but you're Frankie Kenny, though. I am, <laughs> I am yeah. Um, which I think has only adds strength to my work. But anyway, it does. It does. Yeah. It does, it does. Um, so yeah, it it was it, it spun off out of my PhD. So my PhD looked at a number of different aspects. Of how do we get exercise into the mental health services? Um, we didn't really focus too heavily on the role of the practitioner. Actually, in my PhD, we were lo- looking more at how do we get service users to take up this uh, issue and be involved in the process of, of program development. Mm. So that was more what my PhD was looking at. But we were also looking at um, ways of measuring activity as well. And then it kind of spun off out of it. So um, during the course of my PhD, I was fortunate enough to uh, spend a bit of time in the University of New South Wales in Sydney. Uh, with the School of Psychiatry there. As I, said, I have some, some, you know, incredible mentors there as well with Philip Ward and, and Simon Rosenbaum and others. And I spent a little bit of time with them and I saw what was happening there in their services and I just, I was like, I was flabbergasted. It, yeah. it made so much sense. As you said, it was no-brainer sort of stuff. Um, but it was really, really effective too. Um, and, and there's a psychiatrist over there called Jackie Curtis and she was facilitating this work in their service because she was seeing these physical health issues with with her population. It was only after they tried to address the physical health issues they realised they were improving mental health stuff as well. Yeah. And they were producing these, you know, good quality trials on it. And I got to spend some time there and work with them and, and you know, doing things like developing the tools to measure it and, and stuff like that. And I came back to to Waterford, um, completely, you know, reinvigorated. I just had to do something about this, and I, you know, Simon and, and Phil, they both came over to Ireland and they work with us on, on how how we do that and supported our research here with Suzanne and Mary, and um, it's just grown from strength to strength, and even into I. After my PhD, you know, I spent the last two years in a, in a postdoc position and, and shortly I'll be moving on to a lecturing role in physical activity. But um, 
this mission of mine will not die. I am determined that you know we can use exercise and other lifestyle interventions as part of our, our mental health services because we haven't done it in Ireland and we are now 10 years behind where we should be. So with that, that sounds very, very positive and also very heartening. But if I can just be a little bit selfish for a moment. So when you were doing your PhD, how long did you spend in Australia? I only just spent, uh, I think it was two months, maybe a month and a half, but it was enough to... Um, Give me a kick in the backside. It was a good crack. Uh, it's yeah, it was stunning. Yeah, it was stunning. I mean, I was uh, just to. I mean, we're we're in uh, a radio studio in Waterford right now, but I was working in an office in Bondi, uh, in the Bondi Health Centre, and um, yeah, it's it's pretty good over there. I'm not gonna not gonna lie. It's um, it's a different vibe. I had Bondi Beach not too far away, and. Um, yeah, we you know, we were um, we were having a good time and got to do a little bit of traveling around and um, we you know we presented some of our research at different conferences in, in Australia and um, met some incredible researchers, incredible um, you know uh, academics that are pioneering this and it just it it opened my eyes you know in terms of like I was probably working away in, in on my PhD uh, in Watford. I was going maybe between different mental health services, back to the office, working away, writing, and it just shifted everything for me, Rob. It just yeah. kind of expanded my horizon in a huge way. I started to reach out to other academics. I got mentorship from not just Australia, and, and now I, I'm fortunate to have mentorship, and I'm actually working and supervising other PhD students with some of these colleagues as well from Manchester. Um, Rebecca Carney is over in Manchester. I'm working with her. And it 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 brought my research scope from the southeast of Ireland to global and made my connections global. And um, it makes for a better researcher, I think. Not that I'm a good researcher. I'm very conscious as well that I'm following Geraldine Canny, who's a Harvard graduate. I feel like you might have stepped down on this one. But, um, no, yeah. but, but I mean, it sounds to me like you have a bit of imposter syndrome. And the way the, the work that you're describing to me sounds incredibly interesting and incredibly impactful and you're 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 crediting a lot of other people and rightly so but maybe you should credit yourself as well um listen everything i do is part of a team so i i always work as part of a team and and it makes for it makes for stronger research you won't you won't get terribly far in research if you're not working as part of a team and a team for me is a, there's a strong foundation in WIT. I have a very, very strong foundational team in WIT. I go back to people that I know are really, really hardworking in WIT and, and, and do everything for me. And, you know, if you go and look at any of my publications, WIT names all over the page. Um, but then there's a maybe a helping hand from from international experts as well that that have supported me and I, I to be honest with you I learned everything from them so I, it, it's not right for me to not credit them we, yeah we've done a, we've done a lot in Waterford and and the southeast of Ireland to to change services here locally but um, my ideas were were supported by others. If you ever decide to change from research into politics, you're off to a good start, I think, because you're, you're very good at spreading the love around. Uh, but yeah, that, right. One last question for you, Evan. If somebody was thinking about getting into research or starting a postgrad or, or whatever, if you had one bit of advice for them, what would it be? Um, it's a good question, Rob. Okay, so... It's a broad question. It is. 
So as you as you said there, I, I probably have a bit of imposter syndrome. I do. Um, I was not what let's you'd say classically academic in secondary school. Yeah, I did not know what I wanted to do. Um, I had a little bit of creativity. I could write a little bit, but I couldn't really spell very well. I couldn't do maths very well. Uh, I wasn't very strong academically, and I loved playing sports. Played a lot of sports, and I just put something down on the CEO. I put a load of stuff down about sports and exercise, and and got into you know, got into a course that I found that I actually really love. And when I was doing something I really loved, I realised I was academic and. It's about, I think, finding out what actually interests you, what you're going to read on a dark Sunday evening, you know, what actually really sparks your interest, what you, what will you sit down and read? And once you've identified that, you'll become an academic. Uh, I didn't even know what an academic was yeah. when I was in doing my undergrad. I didn't know what a PhD was, um, other than doctor in front of your name, but that meant nothing to me. Um but once I found something that really sparked my interest, I just went for it. And it grew, it grew, it grew. And uh, with a little bit of help from other people, um, I found my niche. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say put your energy into something that you're passionate about. Um, and you'll you'll realise your strengths. As I said, I didn't even think I could, I, didn't, I thought I didn't like science. Uh, when I was in secondary school and now I'm a scientist um, because I love it and yeah. I, it just drives me I I cannot consume enough uh, research and be as immersed uh, I can't be I can't be involved enough it just drives me You're not just a scientist you're a doctor scientist <laughs> <laughs> but you don't wear a white coat uh, I don't think do you? I haven't seen you wearing a white coat around the place No uh, different kind of scientists we wear trainers and um, go to the gym uh, which is good fun um, yeah. and we get to work you know people with mental health problems that you know we get to connect with and talk to uh, there's just some great people out there um, you know um, and it's it's rewarding I'm, I can't put it any other way it's, it's really really satisfying to to see people, um, you know, getting involved with something that they, they thought they wouldn't be able to do, and then realizing that it's having a, a good impact for them, it's it's very very rewarding to to see that and to be involved in that process. And um, yeah, it's it's a, a doctor by a different sort, but it's um, for me that's that's really rewarding. Evan, if somebody wanted to find out more about your research or follow the kind of stuff that you're doing, where should they go? What should they do? Yeah, so I have, uh, I well, you can email me, but um, you'll get more action from me on Twitter, I think. So uh, my Twitter handle is um, evmatthewsirl, uh, IRL in capital letters. So connect with me on Twitter is probably a good way. Uh, if you really want to consume some of the, the literature, you can check me out on, on Google Scholar or ResearchGate as well. Um, you'll find me with, with a Google search there. But those are probably the best ways to, to interact with me. Mm. Um, and I, I'm always open to talking to people as well, you know, uh, particularly people in WIT. We can always meet for a coffee and chat, which is handy. So one last quick flipping question. The Ev Matthews IRL Twitter handle, is that Ireland or in real life? <laughs> I hadn't even considered it the other way, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... Um, 
that's me trying to be as safe with my Twitter name as I possibly can, I think. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, listen, Evan, thank you so much for uh, speaking with me today. Thanks for appearing on the Nine Plus podcast. Uh, I wish all the best with phase two of the exercise effect and all your various other adventures uh, that you're having around the place. And uh, we'll see you for a coffee again soon. Thanks, Rob. Really appreciate your time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nine Plus podcast. If you'd like to learn more, check us out on wit.ie. On Twitter, you can follow the podcast at Nine Plus Podcast. That's number nine PLUS podcast. And if you liked what you heard, please consider leaving us a positive review on whatever podcasting platform you're listening on. That kind of stuff helps us reach a wider audience. So thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with another episode soon. Thank you.